0: You know, uh, Christmas can be a time of laughter, and it's usually a time of laughter. Hopefully it is in your life, and you're not uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, and you don't say bah humbug all day long. But for others, Christmas can be very stressful and a tense time. Sadly, when we see Black Friday, we are reminded by uh, videos of Walmart and women stealing electronics out of kids' hands. Now, we laugh, but we know it's true. That's why I I I, I avoid it. I, I got to get out of there, you know. But you see sometimes chaotic crowds, greed, envy, folks fighting over electronics. Sometimes, you know, there's always these jokes about difficulties in the family. Well, we're going to have extended family over the house. And you know how that is. Boy, I can't wait till they leave. You know, that's how the kind of joke is. And underlying that is... Some truth, right? There's some tension. Perhaps there's unreconciled relationships, eating dinner in the same home, right? Or maybe there's this feeling of forced gift giving when there's no real relationship at all, right? Maybe there's a response from a uh, rebellious teenager. Does that even happen? That will say biting and sarcastic remarks for a wrong suffered in the past. Some very real issues. Maybe there's some real issues not dealt with. Therefore, no real reconciliation. And finally, an outburst of anger occurs even on the dinner table. That does happen. It does happen. Right. Now, the tragedy of it all is that Christmas, which is supposed to point to the incarnation of Christ... Which means God in the flesh, God who is co-equal with the Father, comes in the flesh, that is, coming in the form of man, Jesus Christ, should bring forth real peace between folks. You understand? Christmas is supposed to bring real peace. Why? Because he sets up peace between man and God, and he allows us to love one another in that reconciled relationship. God does this by creating humility in the believer's heart. Now, this morning, we're going to be looking at a text not normally chosen as a Christmas text. But it is a Christmas text if you look at it. Nonetheless, uh, it's about the application of Christmas. Have you ever thought about that? We have Christmas, and what Christmas is supposed to entail, what it's supposed to be focused on, is the incarnation of Christ. Now, what is the application of Christmas? Have you ever asked that question? The application of Christmas is what? Go, go to your relative's house and eat too much? Is that the application of Christmas? Now go do Christmas. Jesus came in the manger. He came as a, in the form of a baby. Now you go eat. Right? One of the applications of Christmas is actually humility. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. You, Philippians chapter 2. In this passage, God says that one of the applications, not all, one of the applications of the Incarnation, or I could say Christmas, is humble living for Christ. It is in humility where we are to deal with the difficult and often painful relationships of life. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 to 11. But our concentration is only going to be verses 5 to 11. Philippians chapter 2, just so we can get the flow. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Then he has this uh, imperative, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, and here's the Christmas story, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we come this morning and we ask, help us to understand, help us to hear, help us to marvel, but help us to go low. Help us to go low, to humble ourselves, because you sent your Son in the form of man to die on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name men. God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would cultivate Christ-centered humility. God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would cultivate Christ-centered humility. Now, before we talk about humility, here's my connection to hu- humility. Here's what God is saying. He says, being found in verse 8, in appearance, he humbled himself. And we know in verse 5, this is our concentration, he starts verse 5 by saying, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. And we have to ask the question, what is this attitude? Well, it's quite simply from verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Then he says this. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. So this whole topic is a theological basis of why you ought to be humble. Understand. A lot of people say, oh, it's theologically rich. It shows about Christ's uh, dissension and then it shows about his humiliation. That is true and that is Wonderful and that is what we grasp and that is what Christmas is. but the way Paul couches it here in the text is, yes, that is a the theological basis. it is the way you ought to think about Jesus and when you think about Jesus in this way, you ought to go low. You ought to think of yourself in a low manner. Have this attitude. Now what is humility? What is humility? When I say Christ-centered humility it's I have to qualify it. Because it's not a false humility. Or humility—have you ever seen this? Humility to show others how humble you are. I'm humble and I'm proud of it. Right? Sometimes uh, I like to practice a, a certain martial art. When I'm in that martial art, there's always this kind of sense of false humility. Yes. See, many even laughs because. There's always this false humility, yes, you bow, you bow, but in your in your mind, you're thinking, man, I can't stand this sensei He keeps making me do push-ups on my knuckles or something like that, right, or maybe it's a false humility based on social etiquette, you know you're bowing all the time or are you're showing deference when your your heart is not in it, or uh where where we've been, we've been to certain countries where there's a kind of false humility to show everybody your piousness or how religious you are. They'll take a chain with a blade. and many Muslim um, countries, they'll do this. They'll flagellate themselves in their back and cut their own backs. And you'll see this in, in Delhi. They're start They start to bleed down their back because they want to show how humble, how contrite they are. It is pride cloaked in an air of humility. Don't be fooled by this. It's not the calluses on someone's knees because of prayer. Circling a mountain is what is to be called humble. It's not even the way they dress. Have you noticed that? It can be, but it's not necessarily the way someone dresses. God defines what true humility is. True humility is Christ's focus, spirit wrought. Sin despising scripture informed. Now let's take a look. It says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. See what was happening in uh, the church at Philippi. Uh, Paul is in jail, he's in Rome, he's hearing about uh, the church that he planted in, uh, in Philippi. And what was happening is he has some good brothers and sisters there, but people are starting to get into fights. They're starting to break the unity, and you can tell. How? Just read between the lines. Notice he says here, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship, if there's any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being in the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit. Why would you say that? You would say that because they weren't united in spirit, right? You would say that because they're starting to argue. But I have even more evidence. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. These famous gals. In Philippians chapter 4, uh, his closing remarks, he says in verse 2, I urge Udea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Why? Because they were fighting. Okay, there's Christian. Wow. In the church, there's fights? Yes. So there's fighting. And he says, indeed, true women. That he, he doesn't even doubt their salvation. He doesn't say that, right? He knows they're believers. He, and he knows that they have courage. Why? Because they shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, correct? He knows that they shared in ministry. Why? Because he called them the rest of my fellow workers. Notice he says, rejoice and forbear. And so what he's attacking here, and part of the theme of Philippians is he's saying, you guys need to learn how to live at peace with one another. Well, how do you live at peace with one another? You have to be humble as your Lord. When you're fighting, um, husbands and wives, you guys know this, right? If one says, well, you did this, and then the other says, well, you did this, but I did this because you did this, and I did this because you did this, it never, ever ends. But if one person has no more ammo and says, You're right, I did do that. Have you noticed that the fight does end? And so, what Paul is talking about is humility in the church. He doesn't say the solution is not let's just all get along or let's just be nice, right? Paul wanted to get to the root of the arguments and bickering. And the root of arguments and bickering is. Right. you have crossed over on my rights you have said things against me you have trampled on what is supposed to be due me so the solution for the church in Paul's mind and what God is saying by the Holy Spirit individually and corporately is to devote themselves to Christ-centered humility connected to Christmas Amazing, now in the Greek dictionaries you can see humility is a quality of voluntary submission unselfishness or self-effacement. And so if we look at the text and we look how it how how it's being used here I could define it as this biblical humility is a voluntary and unselfish attitude in the believer which thinks lowly of himself or herself motivated by Christ's example and position and displays itself by loving and considering others' needs. I know that's a mouthful. But what I'm trying to get here is not just how the dictionaries define it, but how it's used in context. And I'll say it again, okay? Biblical humility is a voluntary and unselfish attitude in the believer. You have to be a believer. You have to know what Christ has done, right? In the believer which thinks lowly of himself or herself, motivated by Christ's example and position, and displays itself by loving and considering others' needs. Now, if you want to, brothers and sisters, how are we going to protect the unity of the body? Now, I'm not picking on anyone. You guys know this. God has given us a season of peace. I'm not picking. Mike, you're starting to fight with Andre again. I'm not picking. That's not what I'm saying, okay? All I'm saying is that Christ's incarnation has an effect on the way you live your life. And if it does not, then you have a sad and sorry and impoverished Christianity. If you want to cultivate true Christ-centered humility in your life, let these two motives given by God rule your heart and mind. There are two motives in the text, verses 5 through 11. And the first section, you'll see there if you have notes, I know I I copied some notes. Some of you have electronically. Um, The first point is, go low because Jesus relinquished over his rights. Go low because Jesus relinquished over his rights. And this can be summed up in the word, his example. His example. Paul connects it to your humility understand that his example he says have this attitude and we talked about that a little bit but that means to basically think this way and he says it in a command voice he says i want you to have this kind of mindset i want you it's a command to think a certain way the whole battle against your own selfish pride of you rising yourself up right begins with a controlling of your own mind when you have been offended, do not believe the lies that say, well, this is the way I am, and they're going to have it. You know, you heard of eye for an eye? Well, I, I will I'll take out two eyes because they took out one of my eyes. Right? Well, this is the way I am, or I'll change when... Here's, here's another one. Here's another prideful statement. Watch yourself, okay? Watch yourself. I'll change when he changes. I'll change when she changes. How about that? That is standing in pride, and it's against the very Spirit of Christ himself, right? If you know Christ, you are a new creature. You've been regenerated. You have the Spirit of Christ residing in you. You have his word. Later, Paul is going to say the famous words that you know in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. So in the battle of pride, when you are in that argument, in that family, and this your uncle says something to you or something like that. Oh, you're wasting your life going to church, going to church, right? right? How are you going to respond? Well, I don't have strength. I just want to give it to him, right? Jesus says you do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, no, that's not a verse so that you could win the Super Bowl. You understand? Or an MMA fight. That's a verse so you can live the Christian life in a radically distinct way in this world, even though the world is against you. Isn't that amazing? So he says to think this way, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, this is astounding. He says, when you think humbly about yourself, you are thinking the way Christ thought about himself. Oh, that's astounding to me. Jesus, God incarnate, creator of the universe, thought this way, he went low. So, what makes you think creature? Can exalt yourself over the Creator. The Son of God humbled himself. You, the servant, are not greater than your master. You are not given the right to explode every time your pride is offended. Because I deserve. Because I'm looking out for me. I'm number one. Brothers and sisters, if you are secure in Christ, there is nothing this world can. Nothing. So, go low because Jesus relinquished over his rights. But notice, it was the way he thought, but also the depth he went. And this is amazing. Follow with me. We're going to look at the degrees of humiliation. And when I say humiliation, I'm using the word in a different way from what we normally use it. Humiliation doesn't necessarily mean something to laugh at, okay? Humiliation is being brought low. Being brought low. I remember when I was about to preach in the Philippines. I was a young pastor, and I was supposed to train a bunch of pastors. And I remember Robert Vega, who was one of our elders back at CBC, he said, I said, do you have any advice for me? He said, go low, Angelo. He said, go low. Don't get prideful just because you were trained a little bit more than them. He said, go low. And I never forgot. that. That's the essence of humility going low for the sake of Christ. Now, the depth he went. Notice, first, before we talk about the degrees of humiliation, let's talk about God, okay? He says here, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, let's unpack that. He says the form of God. Now, some people get confused, but it is really quite clear what that means, the form of God. What it means is, all that God is, Jesus is. Do you understand? Because Jesus is God. All of God's excellencies, all of his attributes, all of who he is, Jesus possesses. His omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his wrath, his truth, his love. You can go on and on. All that God is, Jesus is, because Jesus is God. If you want to know God better, you got to know Jesus better, because Jesus is God. This is exactly why it states, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, follow this, okay? He says the words for equal, now the word there for equal, is the same prefix for where we get the word isosceles triangle. Do you guys remember your geometry? An isosceles triangle is a triangle with two equal sides, right? They're equal, okay? And what this is saying is that Jesus is isos to God, okay? But he says it in the negative, okay? Notice he says here Jesus is completely equal with God the Father, or else this text makes no sense. Do you understand? How can he not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped if he never had equality? Paul is arguing from the assumption that you already know this. Of course he has equality. That's why he didn't regard it a thing to be grasped. And we know that different scriptures say this. The word there for grasp, by the way, is the same word for where uh, the root is harpazo, where you get the word harpoon. So when you shoot like a whale, you'll see a harpoon and it grasps it. What what the text is saying is, Jesus is equal with God, had all the rights and privileges of God, but did not fight for it, did not hold on to it, did not grasp it with a tight grip. He voluntarily. We know that Jesus is equal with God because John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being. We know that Colossians 2 says, For in Him all the fullness of deity, that means everything that God is, all the fullness of deity, dwells in bodily form. Right? We know from Hebrews chapter 1, He is the radiance of His glory and and the exact representation of, of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. So clearly, Jesus is God. But then, we, he doesn't st- stay there. And you're going to notice this step down. He's equal with God. He becomes a bondservant slave. He goes down to the form of man. He dies. He dies on death on the cross. So let's look at these degrees of humiliation. First degree, slave but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He uses this term emptied. Uh, Sometimes people get this confused. What does this emptied mean? All it means, you could just read the context here. When it says emptied, he says uh, verse 5, have this attitude. Verse 6, he existed in the form of God. Verse 7, he emptied himself. What did he do? What is this emptying? He took the form of a bondservant and made himself the likeness of man. In other words, he released his rights and his privileges. So many people get this word mixed up, this emptying. Okay? Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, they typically get this word mixed up. They will say, oh, Jesus emptied himself of deity. That's not what the text is saying. Not at all. How do I know? I just keep reading. That's all I have to do. He became a bondservant. Now, here's an amazing thing. Every time you see this word bondservant in the New Testament, you could cross it out and write the word slave. Because that's really what the the meaning of the word is. But sometimes it's hard to swallow. Do You understand? That Jesus was a slave. He took on the form of a slave. In fact, you like to say, I'm a servant of God, but when... Someone says, Well, really, the word do loss is slave. Well, wait, wait, wait. I'm not a I'm not a slave. Well, that's what you're saying. Okay. Why? Because there is a little bit of a negative connotation with slave, right? What is it? There's no rights. You can't set your schedule. You can't decide what you're gonna do. You know what? You can't wake up and say, Well, I'm gonna do this today. No. You're told what to do. You can't say, Well, I'm gonna leave and take a day off. You can't take a day off. you can't control the the way your life is in that time, there was about six million um, slaves in the new Te- uh, in the New testament era and what Jesus is saying is he took on the right i mean he took on this uh, being a slave of having no rights, no privileges. you can't determine your schedules. Jesus voluntarily became a slave. He did everything that the Father asked of him. He was a slave, always doing the will of the Father. John 8 says this, He who sent me is with me, and he who has not left me alone, I will always do the things that are pleasing to him. I always do the things pleasing to the Father. All his rights and privileges, Christ willingly relinquished. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, how do you apply that? Here's, here's a real question and a real test, okay? okay? Are you humble? As soon as you raise your hand, you're not, okay? But here's the real question, okay? And I, I saw this, it hit me in the face of my own pride. But if we if Christ was a slave and he gave up his rights and privileges, correct? And we are to emulate Christ giving up our rights and our privileges, just like Jesus did, then we ought to be slaves as well, correct? Slaves to righteousness, slaves to God. Now, here's the test of your humility. If, in fact, you are a slave, how do you react when you're treated like a slave? How dare they? I'm an American! How can they do that to me? This is America, right? How can they do that? I remember I was hit with this with my own pride. Uh, I was, um, when we were in India, uh, I was in a place, uh, we know, you know, um, Theo and Ami, okay? They're from the northeast of India. They look kind of like me, more Asiatic. They are looked down upon by the whole society okay? because they have, there's different reasons, but part of it is they're very, very poor and they have insurrections on that side of India, right? But they always thought Jeanette and I were n- Naga. Everywhere we went, they always thought we were Naga. And my pride and my humility were always tested. Uh we'd go to the groceries and we were always cut in line. uh we were completely disregarded all the time uh people would say, "Go away, go away because they thought we were from the tribe that Theo and Ami were. you gotta understand it is completely completely uh, grading right and i I remember one time I was just i've had it. I wasn't in my right mind, and it was hot. It's like 110, you know, and the heat doesn't help. And I gave in to my temptation, and I'm, sh- I'm shouting in the car, I can't stand up. I'm going to get out of this car and hit him right in the face. I'm a missionary for Christ, okay? You understand? I'm going to go and break the glass and hit him in the face. And my wife, godly, I'm glad she's godly, holds my hand, and she says, well, this is why we're here, aren't we? Right? We're here to preach Christ. Can you be treated like a slave? That's where the pride, isn't it? That's where it comes out. I'm gonna f- fight this. You can't do that to me. How dare you speak to me like that? How dare you? Well, if you're a slave, you should be spoken to. As a slave, right? Wow, this Christmas is getting too much in my kitchen, Angelo. You're getting in my kitchen, right? That's what it is, right? Now notice he says the second degree. So here he's God, then he comes in the form of a slave, then he comes in the likeness of men, completely being found in the appearance of man. That means everything that Jesus this is amazing. He is the only being in this universe where he is completely God and completely man. 100% God, joined to 100% man. Everything that man experienced, thirst, hunger, pain, emotion, tears, Jesus experienced a full gamut. He had to. He had to because he had to redeem us. You understand? And so what that means is, he came down, he who is omniscient limited his own knowledge. Go, that's why you see somewhere in the Gospels where he would go to somewhere and he would say, okay, now where is he? Where is Lazarus buried? You know all things. Why are you asking where Lazarus is buried? And you'll see here where sometimes he's tired and he has to go to sleep. And then all of a sudden you'll see uh, those lightning flashes of his divinity where he will sh- shut down the waves of the water, right? Right? But all this to say, he came down and limited himself to a body. And the God-man still has his body, even in heaven today. The next degree he dropped down is he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Submissive. Obedient means submissive, subject to another. True humility is displayed like this, brothers and sisters. True humility is displayed itself in uncelebrated, unrecognized obedience. Obedience. Because obedience says that I I don't know everything. Obedience says uh, there is someone higher than me. Obedience says I know he sees me. I'm not trying to fool anyone with my life. I got to I gotta obey him. Obedience says, God, you know better. I don't. I have to obey. I don't even see the end of it. I don't even see past these clouds. I don't see, but I'll obey because you are greater and I'm less. And he says to the point of death. Usually, most of us will obey. We obey until the point of we're hungry. I'm so nice and kind until I'm ornery and hungry. And now I'm so rude. Hurry up. I'm hungry. Right? Right? Imagine that. Jesus himself says he's obedient to death. Obedient to death. But here's the last humiliation. It's not just any kind of death. He says that even death on a cross. This is a cross kind of death. It was humiliating. Humiliating. He was beaten. He was hung nude publicly. That's what the cross was. The cross was reserved for the enemies of the Roman state. It was used to intimidate and terrorize any insurgency. Now, you know, today we have pretty crosses on our necks. We have tattoos, nice t-shirts with cross, you know. But the cross wasn't even spoken of in polite society. It was so brutal. It was so violent. It would be like, okay, we have our Bible study, our home fellowship. All right, kids and adults, let's get around. We're going to go watch a beheading of a journalist on TV. Come on, let's go, come on. You'd be like, Angelo, what are you doing? We don't want to show that to the kids. Why? Because it's brutal. It's graphic. That's what the cross was. You see, when we look at, think of cross, we think of some gold trinket that we put on your neck. No, it was a brutal form of execution where their bodies were left to rot in the air and scare any of the enemies of Rome. And that's the kind of death that Jesus had for us. Humiliating, unjust, degrading as he was spit on. The only being in the universe unworthy of such treatment received it fully for you. The pure, unblemished lamb who never sinned accepted it willingly as an order given by his father to purchase men from their sins. Christ came down. You did not. Here's an here's ma- amazing thing. Remember, we notice, right, in the text, Paul says to have this attitude in yourselves just as, all, as Christ Jesus did. Okay, And then he lays the theological framework. To think this way i want you to think this way but you notice you will never come to this kind of humility okay? we're sinners already okay? imagine if we go low if we're sinners and we go low we're going exactly where we need to be Do you understand it is fitting for me to go low why because i'm a sinner correct When Christ went low, he came from God to the form of a slave, to the form of man, to death, to a shameful cross where he hung naked on a tree. That is distance. That is humility. We have not come close to that, brothers and sisters. When you see that kind of humility, it melts. That's why when we were singing even that song, What Child is This? And we were thinking about that. What child is this? What child is this that lies thus in lowly manger? Isn't that amazing? The Savior in, a, in the universe lies thus in lowly manger. Let me try and rush through this last point. You can go low, go low because Jesus relinquished over his rights, his example. Secondly, go low because Jesus reigns over his subjects. So he relinquished over his rights and he reigns over his subject. And this is his position. God says here, therefore, also God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name. The therefore is closely related, is related to what Jesus did in his humiliation. That is voluntarily went down. So because he did that, God the Father merits him and lauds him to a highly exalted position, the loftiest position. He gives them a name above every name. All that means is that when you, all that means is all that Jesus is, he is the highest person, the highest being. He is to be lauded, worshipped, magnified over any other person because he went the lowest. Now the rule of Christ, uh, let me try and uh, finish this up. The rule of Christ, he says here, for this reason God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is every name, verse 10, so that at the name every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. First, every knee will bow. You need to go low because he will dominate the best of man's power. All will be made to bow. There is no strength, no political tie, no position held, which will prove to be considered at all. No one has any man-made status before cosmic royalty. Do you understand? Those who think they stand on their own power, who says, I'm going to go to heaven on my own strength, don't worry about me. I don't need your Jesus because I'm good enough. He says, you will be brought low. You don't understand who you're dealing with. Your knees will be buckling. There is no other option but to bow in front of total power. We see a glimpse of that even in John 18 when, when they were going to arrest Jesus. Jesus says, I am he. And they drew back and fell to the ground. Man's pride and mockery of Christ will be disintegrated All will be forced to admit their powerlessness before Christ. All the pompous attitude, all of their thinking that they're high in status, all of their thinking that they're high in position, all will be brought low. He will dominate the best of man's philosophies. He will dominate the best of man's philosophies. If you don't know Christ, your confession will be that you were wrong. You thought it was a little thing to have your own idea of God, for others to believe that they want to believe about God. You even promoted, promoted the thought, whatever works for you. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is true. You're a liar, and now you're forced to say it. That's what it means your tongue will confess. Everyone's philosophy will be faded away to that of Christ. How terrifying. Here's the truth, okay? If you do not bow and confess and cr- Christ and embrace him in grace in this life, you will be forced to bow and confess Christ in judgment in the next. He will have his way. Turn when you have grace, brothers Turn those who don't know him when there's grace now. Bow now. Go low now. Go low because he reigns over his subjects. Let Christmas focus your mind to dwell on Christ's example and position and cause you to truly live a Christ-focused, spirit-wrought, sin-despising, and scripture-informed humility. Let your humility, because of Christ, bind you together with God and man. Are you in conflict? Are you in sin? You won't repent. You may be even right about the argument, but wrong in how you're handling it. You may be wrong altogether, and you don't want to go low. You don't want to confess to God and to repent. When you are tempted to be that way, I want you to think about this, when you're tempted to rise up and argue for your own rights, okay. think about that baby in the filthy, dung smelling manger, prepared to die a, ch- a shameful death for the glory of God and for your benefit. Surely you can go low. Father in heaven, How could we not drop ourselves to our knees? You deserve all glory and praise. Christ. What did you do? You voluntarily did this for us. We celebrate. Thank you for giving yourself. There was no reason except your love. And people still mock you. They mock your name. They mock this whole idea of you coming in the flesh. They think it's a joke. Oh God, arrest us. Save all of our young people, please, God. Cause them to see the beauty of this God, man. Lord, if there was someone who was struggling with this or doesn't know Christ, I pray you would work on their heart. There is a God. There is a Christ. And he died on the cross. And his blood can forgive even them. Move, God. Do your work in Jesus' name. Amen.